Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, whatever time it is that you inky savages are joining us for episode number 168 of the Penboidroy Pentertainment Podcast. Today we have a very cool episode for you. I am here with our good friend Vanessa Linkton, aka Pen Gangsta on YouTube. And she went to the Dutch Pen Show. So she's going to talk to us about the Dutch Pen Show. But first, we have to talk about the affiliate link in the description below. Make sure you click on the affiliate link in the description below and make all your purchases at Gold Spot Pens. Be sure to use coupon code. I think it's still Garfield, right? It shall still be Garfield until the end of this month. Until the end of June, coupon code <laughs> Garfield to score yourselves an additional savings on most of the products on the Goldspot websites with some exclusions applying by some snobby brands. Please check out that affiliate link. Every purchase you make helps out the Penboy Roy Entertainment Enterprise, the multi-dozen dollar corporation. So please check out the affiliate link in the description below. I said like 12 times because I'm not reading anything. I'm just spitting stuff out of my face. Just like, and just then, of course, we have to talk we have to talk about luxury brands of America. So the week of June 25th, we're going to talk about eyes. Banu talismans. They're new Banu talismans, and they are coming. They're introducing cat's eye, tiger's eye, and hawk's eye. Now, these will be a regular edition item, and it's a good thing because these new talismans, talismans are sure to be a huge hit. They're coming to retailers nationwide mid-July. The one that catches my eye is oh, I really is the cat's eye. <laughs> I know I, that was an accident. I totally didn't mean to do that. But cat's eye because I like that green. The what orange one. Hawk, what about hawk's eye for Hawkeye? It's a Marvel character. You know, that's do anything for you too. Yeah, I don't think that that's what they're doing there. The orange no. one is the orange one. Tiger's eye or hawk's eye? That would be tiger's eye. I tiger's think. eye. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, the only reason I would get that one over the cat's eye is just so that every time I lift up the pen, I could be like, I have the tiger shining in the night. You know, so the whole, the whole see, Rocky I thing. I see, very nice. Right? Very nice. Yeah. So anyway, that's the read for June 25th. And I'm excited about these Banu Talismans. I think they're going to be a hit. I think you should make sure that you check out Gold Spot Pens to get yours. Again, it's Cat's Eye, which is a nice pearlescent and chatoyant green. Tiger's Eye, which is very orangey and has speckles and blacks in it. And then, of course, Hawk's Eye. These are all from Banu. Banu is awesome. You're going to love these pens. Of course, they still are using Schmidt nibs. I don't know why they can't just brand their darn nibs, but whatever. It's all good, right? So make sure you check those out. Thanks for listening to the sponsorship. I know you guys don't like it. You probably just skipped through this and... I hope you didn't. But anyway, I'm really excited about this week's episode because I really want to hear about the Dutch Pen Show. Did it suck? Did it not suck? Was it fun? Was it not fun? So before we get started, I want to give you guys a quick disclaimer. This podcast is not scripted and therefore will contain potty mouth words, both from Tom and I and maybe from Vanessa. It depends on what kind of mood she's in. So be forewarned. You have been warned. Now, on to the podcast. The Pet Boy Roy Entertainment Podcast. Stage Savage. I just want to give everybody a quick heads up so there are some connectivity issues so there might be some spots where Vanessa is popping in and out and stuff like that so just bear with it we'll try to cover it up as much as possible using our improvisation skills but I'm excited today because my good friend Vanessa who is an artist and an Instagram influencer as well as a YouTube reviewer of fountain pens is with us you guys might have heard her on previous episodes 
And she recently went to the Dutch Pen Show all the way out in the Netherlands. And it was about the same oh, time no, that I was in Paris, France, right? It was, was it right about the same after, time? Right after, I think. I think you'd already oh, arrived home. Okay. Yeah. yeah, it was yeah. a long trip. So, so how did you enjoy the Dutch Pen Show? And well, first of all, how did you enjoy Netherlands? I loved it out there. It's so beautiful. It's so green and everybody's really friendly and the towns are super cute and I loved it. Mm -hmm. I, I, I don't think I wanted to come home. Right. I felt the same way with Paris. Let me ask you something about the Netherlands. Were themes really hard to pronounce? Yes. Gosh, their words are so weird and yeah. they're long. They're like super long and they're super weird. Yeah and really hard to pronounce. So I didn't, I tried my best to pronounce some words, but yeah, it was hard. That makes me, it makes me think of that scene from <clears throat> that Spider-Man movie, No Way Home. I think it was No Way Home or Far From Home. It was Far From Home where Peter Parker is all lost and he's like, hey, can you tell me where I am? And the guy's like pronouncing something. He can't even say it. So he just hands the phone to the guy. Is it every is everything like that over there where like the words are no. really long and you just can't even repeat it if someone said it to you? No, well, yeah, that. But for the most part, everyone speaks English, so there was there's absolutely oh, really? no language barrier. <coughs> yeah, there was no problem with mm. communicating with people or anything. So apparently, uh, they they grow up in the Netherlands speaking English and Dutch. Mm -hmm. So it's because they watch American oh, okay. TV. So yeah, I, I had see. I had no problem communicating with anyone. Oh, that's good. Yeah. So can you tell us a little bit about the differences in like food and stuff like that over um, there versus in the U.S.? Well, there's there are some differences. I didn't really have too much authentic food as far as I. I had uh, so I did have a day to go out into Amsterdam with Ryan. Sirigano, is that how you say his name? Sirignano. Sirignano. Anyway, so we mm -hmm. went in. Ryan we went to Amsterdam. Yeah, Ryan from Kendra. I could just say it like that, I guess. I always think of Ryan Danger because it's like on his Instagram. It's like Danger. Ooh, you know, he's. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so yeah, we went out and we had an authentic pancake. And you could just like put all kinds of stuff in the pancake. It actually was almost thin like a crepe. And you could put like different stuff mm. in it. And yeah, so that was that was fun. And then uh, Yost took me to a place where they, they have like these little bitty silver, they're like silver dollar pancakes, but they're smaller, mm -hmm. if you can imagine that. And I can't pronounce the word for that. It's called like poffridges. Puffridges, I think, and so mm -hmm. they just they make like all these little bitty pancakes, and they serve you those with some butter and powdered sugar. So apparently those are something that they eat a lot, and but it was really good actually. I I had really enjoyed it. Mm. So yeah, I went off keto. Well, before we start, yeah, I can I can see that based on what you're telling me. Now, pancakes, so I, no keto. Yeah, but you know, not for nothing, when I was in Paris, I <laughs> ate anything and everything. If it was if it was edible, it went into my face hole. But before we talk about the Dutch pen show, I want to know 
how I want to know what it is about the Netherlands that you like. For example, I love Paris because of the architecture. I love Paris because of the culture of people's behavior, right? So like I'll sit at a dinner table and my wife is sitting across from me and I'll be yelling like, oh, I love these, right? I love these fries. This is delicious. I'm screaming and yelling and people are getting annoyed. And then I realize <laughs> that and I'm like, hey, maybe I need to bring the volume down a little bit. Let me talk a little quieter. And then, you know, we assimilated. And then I, I just love the refinement in the behavior of people. The architecture was ab absolutely gorgeous in Paris with its uniformity and there were areas where things were from the medieval times. What did you experience in the Netherlands? Well, you know, it's funny. So you talk about how you were, I guess you were a little loud. Like apparently we Americans are known to be loud compared to our European counterparts. So I think that's kind of funny because, you know, I tend to react like, Ooh, wow, you know, like, look at that. Uh, so I tried to kind of calm that down a bit while mm -hmm. I was over there because I, I do have a tendency to, to react like that as well. But you know, Dutch architecture is really cool as well. So I, I've mm -hmm. seen I've seen Parisian architecture. And I I know exactly what you're talking about. But mm -hmm. Dutch architecture, um, it's it's got a really interesting mix of modern and new and old architecture. So the old architecture, you know, it has like these little houses that look like here. Here's a little journal I bought while I was there. Look, it's pen stuff. It's so if you look closely. You know these these houses that kind of line up the canals and stuff in amsterdam well they also have modern modern architecture that is kind of mixed with that so i went to uh rotterdam and the hague and utrecht and so what's really interesting about their modern architecture is that they take on literal forms like for example in rotterdam there's a building shaped like a pencil. So they refer to it as, you know, a pencil. And there's a building that's shaped like a dog. So, and that's how they, they refer to these buildings. It's so weird. Or there's mm. one that, um, the opera house in Amsterdam, supposedly it's shaped like a toilet bowl and people didn't like it. They thought that it was ugly. Mm. So it's, I think that's really interesting. So they, for modern architecture, it takes on a very uh, literal approach to, mm -hmm. sh to shapes that we recognize. Well, I'm certainly glad that New York isn't the same way because in New York, there is in the, in Queens, one of the five boroughs, there's actually an area called flushing. And if architecture, <laughs> if actually, if architecture was literal in Queens and we'd have toilet bowls everywhere. But all right, so let me ask you something. Tell me about the Dutch Pen Show. What did you like about it? Well, how was it? It was well organized. It really was. It, it really? seemed to run very smoothly. Um, the hotel that it's held in, it's it's very, very nice hotel and mm. very classy. And um, it actually had, you know, it was really cool being, you know, it's set up a lot like how our American pen show is set up, you know, in a room with tables and this and that. And um, so from what I understand, this Dutch pen show was one of their biggest where they had so many people participating in the show that they had to expand into two rooms mm. before it was only one room. So this year it, it actually grew 
um, it grew into a bigger show. But yeah, it's, well, it's very American, or it seems to be becoming very American. But wait, let me ask you something. You said you said two things that are interesting. The first thing you first mentioned thing was mentioned. that it's very organized, okay? Yes. And then you also said that they had to expand it into two different rooms. So let me touch on the first thing first. What about it was organized versus other pen shows that you've experienced in the States? Like, how is it different? It just seemed like there wasn't a lot of chaos involved with it. So, you know, maybe it's just, maybe it's that European, uh, the way they kind of keep their cool together. I mean, I saw some people kind of stressing out, getting ready for the show, mm -hmm. but it was like, you know, I don't know, it's hard to explain. Why well, would you ask break me it down. a question like that? <laughs> let's break it down. You're saying that there's less chaos. So what is chaos to you in a show that you've seen in the U.S.? Like, for example, the DC Pen Show. What would you so the, say is chaos? What... So the DC show is just kind of like, you know, DC on the Saturday where the, the main ballroom is just completely full and people are shoulder to shoulder and it's just kind of crazy. Like, to me, that feels like complete chaos. And the the Dutch pen show room, it was full, not like shoulder to shoulder, but it was way calmer, if that makes sense. Like the energy is way calmer. It's mm. like, yeah, it's so strange. I can't, I can't really describe that, but yeah, it was, mm. the feeling was a like bit different. More of a vibe. Yeah, that, that could be more of a vibe than the actual show itself being more organized or, or right. better run, uh, that sort of thing. I was wondering, what what size would you say, like, compared to other pen shows in the States? Like, where does the Dutch pens, uh, pen show rate size-wise? Mm. I would probably compare it to the Dallas pen show and even the Orlando pen show, which will have, like, uh, two rooms to each, you know, show and they were they were full and um but the two rooms like were equal of size at the dutch pen show mm -hmm. like you usually have a room that's bigger and then you have a small room but both of these rooms were the same size and they were both full of you know like retailers and makers and stuff like that which is really another interesting thing there's not a lot of there were some makers, but you know how like in DC, there's like a whole room of makers. Yeah, and, the small room. You know, yeah, there wasn't really a whole lot of uh, makers at this show. I noticed. Hmm. So, which is kind of interesting. Just, just to dial, dial back. Actually, Tom asked the second question that I was going to ask about the size. So it's smaller than DC. You would right. say. Yes. Okay, so just going back to what we were talking about in terms of the busyness and the chaos. Tom clarified it and and you really didn't have a chance to agree or disagree with it. So I want to hear your opinion on it. When it comes to the Dutch pen show, when you say it was more organized, are is it fair to say that the vibe gave you a sense that it was more organized? Yeah, perhaps that may, maybe it was a vibe that made me feel like it was more mm -hmm. organ, you know, like more under control, if that makes sense mm -hmm. or yeah. You know, okay. I just yeah. So it's fair to say that it actually felt more tame. 
Yeah, a little more tame. Whereas DC okay. is kind of like you know, it's like woo. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 definitely there's definitely a lot more energy in DC. You you did use the word organized, so I'm I'm thinking that there well, was something really stuck, there that you're really stuck on this organized I, yeah, thing. Well, like what? Yeah, what? I have to. I mean, because there's other things that's we can talk that's, about besides organization. <laughs> it's an important word, and the reason why is because I've been to shows that were not so great and got a lot of. How do I say it? I think I talked to you about it, right? And the reason why is because there. I've also heard in the past shows that were just terribly organized, and the show wasn't good because of that. I think it was maybe DC like several years ago. Do you remember that? People were just complaining that it wasn't organized and stuff like that. There, there was, I, I, I vaguely remember, remember there, that. There was yeah, like something the first like that. Day, it was like, I think it was a Friday when a lot of the dealers were supposed to start setting up. And there was a line at the at the check-in with people just, you know, having the the gondolas uh, full mm -hmm. of their products and boxes and stuff, and no one was being assigned tables. Yeah. Just, okay. And I remember. Oh, I remember wow. showing I, up there. That was. I it. remember showing up there and thinking, okay, I saw that huge line. I'm like, no one's checking in for a while. I actually need to go get an oil change. I went to like the nearest Jiffy Lube and got an oil change just to come back later and then finally check in after that. I was just like, I wasn't even bothering with that. So Vanessa, <laughs> what do you think it is that the Dutch pen show does that U.S. pen shows can emulate to improve U.S. pen shows? Uh, well, let me see. And this is why I harp on the word organized, because one of the things that f makes pen shows not good, in my opinion, from what I hear in the U.S., is uh -huh. that there is lack of organization. So the fact that you're saying, hey, it was more organized, what was it? Well, what can well, we do well, look, to make Okay, here's, for instance, here's a, here's a good example of organization at the Dutch pen show was the people who were in line for the queue to get in to the show. Mm-hmm. It's like they had people set up there to, to give them like their their uh, bag of goodies and then someone else was there to give them a wristband and uh, other people, you know, someone else was there. To, so they had a person for each step. So you just mm. kind of go through this little line and then you're, you know, they kind of, they even have like a kind of like a sign of what what's in this room and what is in that other room. So you kind of, oh. you know, have a little bit you know so yeah I mean, so it's like a, a directory at a shopping mall people in a, know in a way yeah yeah and, yeah and it was yeah so it in that in that sense i i felt that was incredibly detail oriented and organized and i and i appreciated that even though you know i wasn't there as a person to one i mean i got to wander around the show a bit but for the most part i, I spent uh, half the time of the show and the other half the time uh, within the workshop. So, mm. you know, that's actually yeah. that's actually we're going to get to that workshop talk, but that's actually yeah, very interesting. The f the fact that there was a directory indicates more proper prior planning to prevent piss poor performance. Wow. So, yeah. I know I did. Isn't that cool? That's awesome. So, <laughs> so what that means to me is the people who put the show together knew who was going to be in what room, knew where table they were going to be at. And, and that's something I think that I think pen, show, pen shows in the U.S. could actually utilize. Like imagine instead of if we go to the D.C. show, for example, there's the main ballroom and there's that small ballroom. If there was outside 
a directory, kind of like at a mall, saying in this room there's these people, Yaffa mm -hmm. Brands, Kenro Industries, Luxury Brands of America, there's going to be Anderson Pens and everything like that. People can save time and be more efficient with their buying experience by knowing, hey, listen, I wanted to go to Anderson. This is the room we need to go to as opposed to wander around aimlessly and look for them. I think it would help. At, at the same time, there's going to be people who like to not know what they're going into, but then don't look at the sign. Mm -hmm. But that's actually a very <laughs> good. And also what you're saying gives me the sense that there was a greater sense of direction for people showing up to the show other than just the signs, but people passing out the wristbands and goodie bags and all that stuff. Yeah. So I think those are... Those are two elements that I think that whoever is doing the DC Pen Show, I think that that's something that they could kind of try to do if. Yeah, they and can. I think they were. I think they organized like the placement of you know where people their table would be at prior to the show. So when you arrive, you know exactly where you're supposed to go and set your stuff up. So it's there's no guessing oh. game or anything like that. So. Yeah, mm. people, you know, knew exactly where they needed to set up, and yeah. Mm. So maybe that has something so what, to do with that. What was your arrangement going into this show? Because you said you weren't you weren't there kind of as a spectator. You weren't just going to to do a pen show. I mean, I know the answer to this, but people listening don't know the answer to it. So, tell us about what happened before you got to the pen show, how you ended up at the pen show, and why you ended up at the pen show, and what you did at the pen show. Okay. <laughs> uh, let's see. So prior to the pen show, I arrived in Yost's car, Yost Appleboom's car. No, no, no. I mean, I mean, I mean. How did you like the communication between you and Yost? How it is that you got oh, to okay. link why, up why with the you Dutch know I mean? pen show out of all the shows that you could possibly right. go to? Why the Dutch pen show? Um, because it's in Amsterdam, <laughs> or no? I'm sorry, it's in Utrecht. <laughs> So I, you know, I needed an excuse to go to the Netherlands, and that was a good excuse. And I've, I've been wanting to go to the Dutch pen show since I found out about it. I was like, ooh, that would be a great, you know, destination to go to, go to a pen show, go sightseeing. I mean, that's like the perfect storm of nerdness for me, you know, because... <laughs> Stationary tour tourism basically stationary tourism not to mention all the music they have so many art museums at the, in this country i visited like four of them while i was there mm. and you know that which is when you know when i go somewhere that's hugely important to me because you know my occupation as an art historian that and i'm a huge art nerd anyway and i want to see all of these you know artworks that i've seen or i've learned about in, in college or I've only seen in books, so or you know what I've done for my job. So the only way I've seen a lot of these paintings was online or in a book. And so my goal is always to go to the museum and see it. I want to see it in person. And, wow! You know, that, so you know what? I'm I'm interested. I'm interested in that experience because I experienced something similar. Seeing the Mona Lisa my entire life on in pictures in in online. Yeah. What was it like for you? to be a scholar of all these works of arts and then actually see it in person. What was that experience like for you? It's like, it's like the coolest thing in the world to actually see a tangible item or a tangible work of art 
in front of you and my I always try to get as close as I possibly can without the guard saying you need to back off um, because I like to see exactly where the brush hit the canvas with the paint I like to see the direction of the brush strokes how it was executed what colors were used in the paint you know like for example I went to the Van Gogh Museum or as the Dutch would say Van Gogh okay <laughs> Van Gogh Right. So there was one painting in particular that I, I'm a huge fan of. It's the Almond Blossoms. It's, it's a beautiful painting. And I was seeing if I have a reference nearby for it, but I don't. So I could just, I could show it. But so what was really cool was to see that in person, to see the actual size of it and to get as close as I can, because there were a color, there are colors used in this composition that I didn't know was in it. So I only know oh, what's wow. there because my face was like within 10 inches of the canvas. So that, those are the types of things I'm looking for, you know, is, is something like, oh, wow, I didn't realize there was like a dab of red here mixed in with this. That's, mm. that's really nice. You know, that's, that's really surprising. So, yeah, I, I mean. A real quick question about that. Sure. You know, you're academic when it comes to knowledge of these paintings and your perspective is based on theory, not actual tangible experience. Did anything change in your mind about the painting perspective wise when you actually saw it in person versus the theory that you had before you saw it in person? Um, that's an interesting question. Not, not really, um, you know, because a, a lot of it, a lot of the artworks involve actual history behind it, such as the Almond Blossoms was created for uh, Van Gogh's brother who had just had a son. So this was a, like a gift or a, something to commemorate that birth. So, you know, that, you know, I knew, I knew that and I knew the basic color scheme of this particular artwork. Um, no, in fact, you know, nothing really changed as far as the theory behind it or, or what I was seeing. In fact, I would have to say that my opinion and love for this particular artwork grew even further. Mm -hmm. You know, cause, you know, Van Gogh is such a prolific artist as it is, and and you know, such a huge history behind you know his life. So that that's that was I think that was that was like a a, a check on my bucket list was going to that museum. Mm. So yeah, it's kind of like it's kind of like meeting your hero. It, I'm gonna say this. I'm gonna ask this: Is there ever a time where you learn about a historic work of art, and you're so inspired by it, and then you see it, and then it's like that old adage: never meet your heroes. You see it in person, and then you're actually disappointed in it versus more mesmerized by that. Is there ever a piece or a time that happens to you? Um. I'm trying to, you know, that only happens when I have to look at contemporary artwork because I really, I really hate contemporary artwork. I mean, there's some artists out there I, I really like, like Ron, Ron Muick, who makes these larger than life, like sculptures that he blows up like the human form to like, you know, a thousand times its size. If you get to go to one of those mm -hmm. exhibitions, you really should. They're really fascinating. But you know, like seeing something, and I'm I'm gonna, you know, I, I hate saying his name. Jeff Koons. 
I cannot stand his work um, mm. because he's a hack. So I imagine if I were to see his work in person, I probably wouldn't be impressed. So um, you probably know him for his uh, oversized blow-up balloon animals. He's just a piece of shit. Mm, no, I'm not. What 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 about him? What about his art? What about his art makes him a hack? And what about him makes him a piece of shit? Well, he all he does really, like a lot of his works, is he takes uh, everyday objects, um, he and he blows them up, like into ginormous proportions, or mm -hmm. he will take like artworks from like. Uh, Edward Manet's uh, Le Déjeuner, I think that his is Le Déjeuner. He mm -hmm. took like, um, he made like a copy of the painting, like probably was just a lithograph, it wasn't, probably wasn't even like painted. And he took like a gazing ball and placed it right in the center of it and then he calls it his work. You know what I like, mm -hmm. so uh, those gazing balls that you put in your garden to decorate, do y'all know what I'm talking about? Yeah, like the like the one that's really reflect reflective, and it's like you could see all around. It's kind of like a big mirror. Exactly. Wait a minute, what's a ga what's exactly. a gazing ball, and whose balls did he put on this painting? <laughs> okay, he took a, ga a gazing ball, pretty much cut it in half, and placed it mm -hmm. in the center of this composition. So I guess it would reflect your reflection along with the reflection of the painting in the same sphere. Mm, pun intended. I see. Actually, so, no pun intended. So I think I have. So I think I have a solid analogy now. That's that might be better than yours, Roy, because you're saying it's like meeting your hero, or that right. it may change. Does it change your opinion? I think it's more like if you follow or you listen to a particular artist, a musician, and you really like their work and then you actually get to see them perform live is a more similar experience to seeing that artwork live and appreciating it in the flesh. So if you didn't like their work before, seeing it live is not going to really change your opinion on it much. But if mm -hmm. you really liked it, most likely you're going to create a more deeper emotional connection by seeing right. it in person. No, but my question okay. was, like, like, was this, like, I'll take that same analogy. Let's say I'm a huge fan of... Jean-Pierre Bonpal, the greatest French flautist that ever existed. And then I go to see him play in person, and I've heard, before doing this, I've always heard his recordings. He always sounded pristine, perfect. He's always in tune. But I go to see him play live, and he's out of tune, and his notes are cracking. I'm disappointed in what I'm seeing live versus what I know. What I was asking Vanessa is, is there ever like a work of art that you loved, that you went and saw in person at in the Netherlands and then were disappointed with what you saw in person versus what you had already known of. I didn't see anything that disappointed me. I was not disappointed no. at all. Mm, so that's cool. everything that's really cool. Yeah, everything I saw, it was it was like okay, cool. Because I I went I also mm. went to the the Rijksmuseum and saw mm -hmm. a bunch of works there. Mostly, you know, I went there for the 17th century Dutch Golden Age uh, paintings mm. they have there. Um, and everything is just as it's even more beautiful in person than in mm. uh you know an image online because the color is more vibrant and the mm. detail is you know is better so mm -hmm. yeah it's just a and total nerd fest 
Yeah, I can totally relate to that because I was unimpressed with the Mona Lisa from history books, from the internet, from posters and pictures. But the moment I saw it in person, I was like, damn, this Leonardo dude can really fucking draw. I can tell you. <laughs> I, was, I was so impressed. There was something about the face of the Mona Lisa that was ambiguous. Like, I couldn't tell if I was being mocked. I couldn't tell if I was being smiled at. I couldn't tell what the expression was, but the expression kept changing in my head the longer I looked at it. And it was something so mind-opening. You know what I'm saying? And it's, it's just, just an interesting so cool perspective. It's just so cool to hear you appreciate it. I just, I love hearing mm. how you how you, you've seen it in person, how you have, it's like you've developed this appreciation for, you know, the way that Leonardo executed that painting, because that's like, right. that's like the, one of the huge questions behind Mona Lisa is, is she smiling or not? You know, what is she no. looking at exactly? And yeah. so it's interesting that you, you know, you picked up on that when you saw it. So that, well, that's really was cool. the, the, that was the, the biggest impact what it had on me was I'm not sure how she, I know it's a painting, but I'm not sure how she's, if that were a person, what she's thinking about me, you know, like part of me is like, wow, she's smiling, bitch. Are you fucking making fun of me? I couldn't make it. I couldn't tell. But the reason I guess I asked you your perspective is because I'm coming from a completely ignorant and uneducated perspective, looking at a great work. I didn't know anything about it until after I seen it. Okay. And I'm wondering how different the reaction would be by someone like you who is academic and spent her life in academia in the arts. When they see things for the first time in person, how much does it change your perspective in the way it changed my perspective of the Mona Lisa? You know what I'm saying? But that, that's really my curiosity. If what kind of changes you went through after seeing it in person? It's just more, more, it's like, I'm more like speechless. I'm more like looking, I'm like, oh. Oh. Mm -hmm. you know, <laughs> Yeah. you know, I'm right. more like, Ooh, you know, I, I mean, yeah, I, I totally, I nerd out, you know, and I mm. get, I get kind of, I guess I get kind of quiet and observe and, mm. you know, do you take... feel there's, do you feel a sense of completion? You know what I mean? So like, you know, all no. the theory, you know, all the, and then seeing it in person, does that make you feel like the story is complete in a way? No, cause I just want to see it again so I can mm -hmm. study it more, you know, right. just keep seeing it. So that, yeah, mm -hmm. that's, yeah, I'd, I'd love to go back and look, you know, look at some stuff again, but you know, what's funny is like, I would go into like the Rijksmuseum, for example. Um, and I guess also at the Van <laughs> Museum, uh, you know, there was, there was, uh, I, I find that I love the paintings, of course, because, you know, it's, it's a record of, of the artists, you know, their mo that moment in time with them. I'm really right. into like the objects that are there. Like, for example, uh, Van Gogh's palette was there at the Van Gogh museum, you know, what just you an object. Oh, the that, palette that he used. His palette. Yeah, I call it the Bob Ross plate. The Bob Ross plate. Bob, well, it's not it's not quite as big as Bob Ross's palette, but yeah, it's a little it's a bit smaller and it's wooden, and mm. but it it was left there and and you could see just you know the dollops of paint still on the palette and you know where he'd mix some colors up and 
So, and, and there was also some letters there. So you could see samples of his handwriting, you know, as they were using uh, dip pen and ink, which I thought mm. was really interesting. So I try to get as close to that as I can, because I like to see different people's handwritings. So mm. it was really cool to see uh, how Van, Van Gogh's handwriting looks. And also uh, there was a sample of handwriting from Claude Monet, which I mm. thought was really interesting. So yeah, it's, you know, just again, like it's just total, total nerd fest. Just, mm. I just go there and just geek out big time. So the Netherlands was in your in your sights because of the museums and then right. also the show. What other country are you interested in visiting just for the art alone? Germany has mm -hmm. Italy for sure. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, Italy is pretty high on my radar right now. There's a lot to see there mm -hmm. as far as, uh, mm -hmm. you know, including the Italian Renaissance, uh, lots mm -hmm. of stuff to see there the baroque period um mm. now just real quick you mentioned the baroque period is the the i'm pretty sure and correct me if i'm wrong the art the art baroque period is different than the music baroque period correct i'm not really sure about that i want to say that those they mm, coincide very closely together because mm -hmm. isn't there a romantic period of music as well yes it's it's so, the the early 1800s yeah, so that's about the time that early 1800s was neoclassicism, and then mm -hmm. that slowly gravitated into uh, romanticism. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I think that a lot of these correspond together with music, which I think is really mm -hmm. cool. That, mm -hmm. you know, because is there, okay, is there an impressionist uh, era yeah. in music? In music, yeah. 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 Is it late 1800s? Yeah, it's it's actually okay. it's very late 1800s, early 1900s. But I do know that the music renaissance is different from the art renaissance. Oh, is right? it? Okay. I think so. I think I don't so. Know. I I didn't pay attention in college and because of ADHD, <laughs> but I'm pretty sure. All right. So anyway, let's get back to the the art. Talking to you about art is always interesting because you know so much about it. So I just needed to pick your brain a little bit about the art stuff. But let's go back to the Dutch pencil. Okay. How Going leading up to the Dutch Pen Show, how did you get in touch with Eust? How did you end up doing a workshop? Like, how did that communication go? Did he reach out to you? Did you reach out to him? Um, well, every year, Yost is like, I'm like, wow, that looks like fun. He's like, well, you should come. I'm like, yeah, that'd be nice. Okay, but I got to, like, find some money somewhere to get mm -hmm. over there. You know, because airline tickets not cheap to, mm -hmm. to get over there. So, um, so this year, it was about January. I was actually talking to Brian from Kenro and he was talking about going to the Netherlands. He's like, Hey, we're going to the Netherlands. Kenro's going to be there. Esterbrook's going to be at the Dutch pen show. I was like, Oh dude, I was like, that's going to be so awesome that y'all are going to, you know, you're going to show up there and be a, you know, show an American presence. That's great. And he's like, you should go. And I'm like, Oh, okay. I'll just like go to the Netherlands and go to the pen show. Okay. Whatever. So, uh, so yeah, Brian was, really cool and he uh started giving me you know some jobs to help you know i was doing some some side jobs for esterbrook and that kind of helped me pay for an airline ticket to get over there and uh i talked to yost because you know airline ticket and then hotel i mean it was going to be like crazy expensive yost was like why don't you just stay at my place i was like okay all right and i was like you serious you want me to stay at your place? He's like, yeah. I was like, 
okay, so I got a place to stay, and I figured, nice. you know, airline airline money was figured out. So, and then Brian came up with this idea. He's like, you know, I think Esterbrook is going to host a bunch of workshops. What do you you want to do a workshop? And I was like, yeah, okay, sure. What What was your workshop on? Wax seal stamps. Oh, I've been seeing that all over Instagram. You're doing excellent with the wax seal stamps. I yeah. never had any interest in wax seal stamping, but watching it is watching your Instagram videos of wax sealing. I'm just it looks so <laughs> ASMR. Is that the right arrangement of letters? Well, I mean, AS it's more like sounds. It doesn't look. It's a, like ASMR is an auditory thing. Mm. Right. I see. Okay, whatever. But you know what I but mean. Watching it is satisfying. satisfying. Right, it's yeah. oddly sad. I wouldn't yeah. say odd. I think it like just is satisfying. Like, like it's the pimple popper. Satisfying. Yeah, the pimple popper <laughs> is oddly satisfying. That is oddly satisfying. No, it's not. Odd applies to that. I have to agree yeah. with you there. <laughs> yeah, but the wax seal. There's something. There's something about it. Watching it like melt in the little spoon, and then you pour it on, and then you put the stamp on it, and then you wait for it to cool, and then I notice that that you don't just yank it off. There's like a like a slight tilting technique that you get it so. But the best part about it is the way you fucking paint these things. I would fuck that up <laughs> in an instant. I don't think you but, would. I think you would be all right. No, it would, it would look like I had a bloody nose all over that thing. But <laughs> you're trained in art. So that has something to do with how you paint these wax seals, correct? I don't know if it has anything you know, to do with being trained artistically. I mean... I just, I have a natural uh, desire to just do anything creative, you know, like mm -hmm. for mm -hmm. instance, today, you know, I didn't, I didn't make any wax seals today. Today, I, I, I worked out, then I went straight into working because I work from home. And while I was working, I was thinking, you know, I, I feel like painting. I want to paint. Mm. I'm going to do some, you know, and I, I have my, I have a set of, of Chinese ink painting uh, brushes, Cheryl's turn. Mm -hmm. So you could see like part of my room here. So you can see that stand right there. Right. Okay. So those are paint brushes, and mm -hmm. they're used for inks, uh, inks mm -hmm. in solid form. So you grind them up and make it wet. And that's why I was like, you know, I haven't done that in a long time. I just feel like doing that. So so I did, and I made you know, see if I can reach them. Well, I we can't see it because you're so pixelated, but viewers will be able to see it. Well, and if anybody's yeah, listening, so the they viewers, definitely so, won't be able to. So yeah, I just decided, you know, I'm just going to create some, you know, I saw some beautiful painted calligraphy at the Rijksmuseum, and mm -hmm. it, it was very inspiring. So I just kind of started doodling, you know, with uh, some of these paintings. Oh, I wish I could see it. You'll be able to see it when you play this back. She she could be so showing I'm us showing... some like completely X-rated stuff right now. Like it could like, be a huge dick and balls, oh, and we that's, won't that's know. Really nice. Well, that's right. that's <laughs> the joke. It, it it that's actually what it is. So, <laughs> so yeah, it's a calligraphic a calligraphic. Uh, <laughs> no, I mean it's, a, it's tasteful. Don't worry, guys. I won't embarrass no. you. You think that's going to embarrass me? You clearly don't know me, Vanessa. I'm a little disappointed, to be honest with you. But no, I mean, I know that you're an extremely competent artist, and because you've done several paintings for me, one of which is my wife, and it's in my living room, yeah. and, I, and I really, I really love that. And 
you know, I just, I think it's really cool. Can we talk about those Chinese paints that you were just talking about? You say, sure. so it's a solid, it's a solid block of paint that you of kind ink. of, yeah. mm-hmm. of ink. Okay. Ink, not paint. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a, ink. It's okay. ink. So yeah. What is that oil-based water-based? What kind of ink is it? It's, I believe it's water-based. Uh, I mean, okay. the kind I use, it's not like the super, you can get like really super fancy ink, you know, to that's made in Japan and it costs like a small fortune because it takes 10,000 years to make or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, mine, you know, it's just some it's a long time. cheap. I, it's a mighty long time. Uh, there's actually a really interesting video of a guy who uh, mixes the ink with his feet. So... Okay. <laughs> You know what they call uh, that? They call that stink. Get stink. it? Stink. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, can I just, I got to jump back to this palette that you were talking about, Van Gogh's sure. palette, when you saw it. What, do you know what kind of paint he used on the palette? Was the paint still visible? Was it still yeah, yeah. vibrant colored? Oh, really? What uh, kind um, of paint was that? He uses, he was used oil paints, you know, that oh. was around that time. You know, a lot of artists were painting outdoors, or mm. they had been because Van Gogh is actually post-impressionist. <laughs> okay. I have to keep doing that because it's just yeah. Um, so it, he's post-impressionist. So that's after you know Claude Monet and mm. Renoir and all those people who uh, you know that was the first time that paint was available in a collapsible tube. So that allowed oh. them to go outside to paint. So, and if you look at a lot of Van Gogh's work, it was painted outdoors. Mm. So he was using tubes of oil paint that was already oh. mixed together and, and stuff. So that, yeah, that was there. And you could, you know, see just spots on the palette where this paint was uh, deposited onto the surface and, and spread around with his brush. Mm. Yeah. And that's, and then they would use the, the palette. How is the palette usage different than modern times now? painters oh i don't think i don't think there's you know i mean modern times now most people would use a plastic palette that has different you know wells in it um that are you know there's a disposable palette that comes in like a a pad of paper and you could just rip it off and throw it out you know at this time they're using wooden palettes and you know i would imagine that it's very similar to the way someone would put, you know, acrylic paint onto a surface and mix together with their paintbrushes. Everybody seems to have uh, their own way of doing that, you know, leaving their mark in their own individual way. Did you ever so. wonder how how these artists like Van Gogh would have been able, or Leonardo da Vinci, or how they would have able to have created differently had they had access to modern paints and technologies and stuff like that? I mean, maybe it, it would have been improved or it changed a little bit, but I think that, you know, their style would have always been their style, you know, mm-hmm. like the way that they communicated an image that they saw onto the surface of a canvas was going to be exactly how they see it, you know, mm-hmm. regardless of, you know, what the technology is, you know, the different types of brushwork. but. I would, you know, I imagine that they might have been influenced, you know, let's say by what digital, a digital platform maybe would have changed the way well, they the, saw yeah, things. Yeah, so you know? that's what I'm talking about because I, I seen comic book artists 
draw and then ink stuff on paper and then they use digital format and it just looks more refined do you think mm-hmm. like that kind of refinement would have taken away from what makes a van Gogh beautiful or do you think it would have added to its beauty had he had access to um it? and this is just your opinion so it's not like yeah holding you to it. um i don't know i kind of feel like it might have taken away from it like it would have kind of mm-hmm. cheapened it a little bit and and maybe mm-hmm. he would have lost a little bit of himself mm-hmm. to that i see yeah it's almost as if the and i've said this before and i think you would agree that the the art of imperfection is what makes art beautiful whereas the art of perfection takes away from its beauty. Right. 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 I think perfection is overrated. Mm, I know. I get, I get that comment about me a lot. So, you know, (laughs) I deal with it on a daily. I know what you mean. (laughs) So tell us about this workshop. How long was the workshop that you did at the Dutch pen show? It was about an hour long and Mm -hmm. uh, it was basically like an intro to wax seal stamp. So, you know, anybody could have shown up, someone who had a lot of experience with it and who just wanted to come and, you know, enjoy the class or, you know, create along with other people who were there. And mm-hmm. some were brand new to it, had never done anything like this before. So, you know, basically I showed them different techniques of melting wax. I mean, cause mm-hmm. basically the whole premise is to melt wax put it on a flat surface and make an impression with a wax seal stamp. And then you kind of do what you want with it. You know, you can, I, you know, so you can mix wax up or you can put some, deposit some color on it with, you know, a, a pen, you know, in that case, we weren't using like the, the cream that I normally use. It's like a little pot of cream. There's actually like markers that mm-hmm. you can uh, put color on with that. So they use that or you could put glitter in it and make mm. it really magical or, mm. you know, do what you want. But, you know, the whole the whole point was I wanted to tell them, you know, communicate to them, whoever attended, was to use these methods to express themselves in any way they wished, in mm. a letter or a journal or just to make like a tiny little, because that's what they're kind of like little tiny works of art, mm-hmm. making these stamps. Right. So, yeah, I just wanted them to just open their minds and just kind of be free with it, you know? Mm-hmm. So it seems like that workshop, as as much as it was a workshop on wax seals, it was a workshop on creating art and self-expression through that art. Right. That's a tough class to teach because some people don't, don't know. know how... Yeah, I mean, some people don't know how to, like, if you told me, here's a ball of wax, here's a fucking crack syringe, make art, I wouldn't know where to start. So for someone like me, how would you start someone who's not artistic, who doesn't have an artistic hand or or a eye? How would you start uh-huh. them with the wax seal process? Well, I would first communicate to you that you're going to make mistakes but you need to embrace mm-hmm. those mistakes. Just like Bob Ross says, they're happy accidents. Mm-hmm. So make the mistakes, embrace the mistakes, and just keep going with it, you know? Because mm-hmm. I like the mistakes. I like it when, you know, it's like, drip your wax everywhere if you want. Pour it, mm-hmm. you know? Fling it to the thing and then put a stamp in it. Do what you want with it. Um, you know, but the first thing I would show, of course, is like, 
Here's a lighter. Here's wax. Light it up. Let's make mm -hmm. some fire. And then right. you just like let that let it all drip where you want. Get your wax seal ready. And just like you know, press it into the hot surface, and then wait mm -hmm. a second. And voila. That's interesting. Crackheads are like, I know this part. <laughs> I got this down. Now it's about right. making. Now it's about making art. You know that that's a that's a hard thing when it comes to art is to to embrace mistakes. I know. I always remember being a kid drawing and stuff like that. I'd make a mistake. I'd just crumple the whole thing up, throw yeah. it out, and be frustrated. Hours of my life wasted doing I, that. You know. Is there any self-improvement that can come from not embracing mistakes and searching for like the perfect drawing or the perfect, like envisioning in your head and putting it perfectly onto a piece of canvas or paper? Or do you think that the growth comes from actually making the mistakes and then living with them? Well, the growth actually comes from, there's there's actually one of the best uh, best things I've ever heard was there's a letter that uh, artist, a minimalist artist, Sol Witt, wrote to another minimalist artist, Eva Hesse, she's a German artist. And mm -hmm. she was having a mental block, a creative block. And so they would write letters back and forth. And on one of her blocks, he actually wrote back to her and he was just like, you need to get over yourself. You need to create your worst art. And the main thing that you're doing, um, you know, get over it. You just, you have to do, you have to mm -hmm. make it regardless of what it looks like. So you make your shittiest art and it can't get any worse than that. And so the only, the only way to go after that is, is to go up, to make better art. Mm. So, and you can do that in different forms. But I always think that, you know, the mistakes are more interesting than trying to imitate perfection. You know? Interesting. Yeah, I agree with that. Hey, I have a question, and not to throw things back right back at you, but based on that, why is that other guy, what's his name, something Cooch or Cooch, right? Oh, um, Jeff Koons. Yeah, so if that's the case, then Jeff Koons, his art, why is it hack art? Because it's not really art. It's just like a facsimile of, of a kitsch object of something that he, like, he made this horrible, and people are gonna go and Google this after I, I mention it. He made this horrible photo series uh, with his then wife who was an Italian porn star. And it was basically him having sex with his wife. And he called the series Made in Heaven. And mm. he, you know, he had on makeup and it, it's just really cheesy aesthetic being used for this series. Mm. And, you know, and he took that and labeled it art, but it's just like, like his earlier works of art was he would take like an aquarium, fill it halfway with water and put three basketballs in it. And it's like, there it is. That's art. He's just really, mm. he's really good at marketing himself is what he's, mm. he's a master at marketing himself and creating mm. buzz around his work. But right. is he, is he truly an artist? He's truly a con artist is what he is. I guess that's a form of art, right? I guess so. I mean, you know, it, it, it takes a certain technique. Right. <laughs> to fill a fish tank with basketballs. I can't do it. Yeah. I put fish in mine. You see that there? Yeah. But yeah. But listen, 
this conversation was very interesting. Talking to you about art is always interesting. I appreciate you being on. We got to cut it a little bit short today because we started so late, but we got to do this again and yeah. actually talk about the Dutch Pen Show next time. I was like, I feel so bad. <laughs> we did all we did was talk about art. We didn't talk about really pens. <laughs> all right, I like pens. pens. You like pens. Tom like pens. We love pens. Yeah. Yeah, we love Pence, so I'm sorry we didn't get a squeeze in pen talk in there, but the the art talk triggered interesting questions in my head and might not have been interesting, but in, triggered questions that I'm interested in at least, and I hope other people yeah. can relate to it. And anyway, it is episode number 168 of the Penboy Roy Entertainment Podcast. Thanks again for joining us. I love you guys. Be well. Be safe. Stay in key. That's your sign-off? You don't have anything to say? That's okay. That's cool. I don't have anything to say. It's like, hmm. <laughs> All right. Be well, be safe. Love you guys. Bye. Arrivederci. Yeah. Buongiorno. Did you ever see bon- Inglorious Bastards? Inglorious Bastards. <laughs> bon- Where Brad Pitt's like pretending to be Italian. Buongiorno. Anyway, for real. Love you guys. Be well, be safe. Stay inky. You know the whole deal. Buongiorno. Bye. Buongiorno. Buongiorno. <laughs>